On July 28 last year, the United Nations General Assembly came together and passed a historic resolution declaring that everyone on the planet has a right to a healthy environment that has access to both clean air and water, as well as a stable climate. While not legally binding, the decision will be critical in protecting people from environmentally destructive policies at a time when 99% of the world's population breathes air that exceeds the World Health Organization's air quality limits. The announcement will also be a boost to several projects that use algae to capture carbon and improve air quality. You are listening to Think Sustainability. I'm Andrew Herlinger. I don't think there's anything more important at the moment, to be honest. I think the last three years of bushfires, global pandemic, and flooding have shown us the extent of climate change and the disruption that it can cause socially and economically. Australia's air quality is generally among some of the cleanest in the world, with the nation ranking ninth out of 177 countries measured by the World Health Organization in their 2021 report. This is not a big surprise, as most Oceania countries record good air quality figures because of the lack of land borders and proximity to the ocean. At the same time, though, Australia is very susceptible to extreme pollution spikes, which are caused by short-term disasters such as bushfires and dust storms. Australia is also higher than the recommended air quality levels being set by the World Health Organization, with climate change causing some areas to be considered very polluted. Climate change and air pollution are not recently discovered issues. For the past few decades, short-term climate pollutants like fossil fuels have harmed almost everyone on Earth, with many people developing irreversible health conditions and some people even dying. Climate change has also caused significant damage to the environment with rising sea levels, warmer temperatures and more frequent natural disasters being some of the biggest changes driven by this problem. It is these reasons why academics have had to start finding solutions. As citizens and governments begin to formally acknowledge the impact of climate change on human well-being, researchers got their heads down and started to work together on finding ways in which they could reduce carbon emissions, with one of the most recent ideas being the use of algae. I think 10 years ago, if you told someone that you know there were researchers looking at algae for all these different types of application, it probably would come across as quite a bizarre thing to be spending a lot of time researching in. You know, when I first started in this field, a lot of times when I told people, oh, we're working with algae, they were kind of like, oh, there's stuff in my pool that I want to get rid of. Dr Alex Thompson is an industry engagement manager for the Climate Change Cluster. Together with her team, she has transformed algae and algae biotechnology into a cross-disciplinary research strength at the University of Technology, Sydney. The ramifications of this are significant, since there are now chemists, engineers, designers and innovation experts who are working to harness these aquatic plants for their benefits. 
I think as time has gone on and we've seen a lot of companies engage in this space, you know, Young Henry's, we have large-scale algae bioreactors in their brewery capturing carbon, different companies that are using it in different food products and, and developing new types of plastics and things that are already on the market. People have sort of come around to it in the sense that this really could be an amazing way that we not only, you know, use it to um, mitigate climate change through carbon capture but also develop all new, new products. Um, I think people have really kind of come around to it and it's been a fantastic way um, of engaging people to talk about it um, but also a way of potentially pushing that idea out and really making impact and making an impact on things like climate change. Algae is a photosynthetic organism that grows in water. Like many of its plant's descendants, algae produces valuable carbon-based compounds within its cells through photosynthesis. The difference with algae from other plants, though, is that there is this ability to make useful compounds and materials without a carbon footprint. As Dr. Thompson rightly notes, the prospect of being able to produce materials that absorb carbon dioxide is an exciting and necessary development, given that our rapidly warming world is clashing with our swelling population size. You know, as we kind of understand that one of the few ways forward that we have to help mitigate the impact of um, climate change is to start to capture some of this carbon from the atmosphere. So one of the best ways that we already know that captures carbon is, is plants through photosynthesis. So, you know, w- when we look around the world for different ways that we can capture carbon, nature's kind of already given us one, and that's that's photosynthesis through plants. So there are a whole bunch of carbon capture technologies that already exist that uses different types of man-made technologies and, um, you know, different types of gas capture and things like that. Uh, but using photosynthesis is one of the, I guess, most, ele- you know, already elegantly designed, for lack of a better word, ways that we can capture carbon. So if we're able to really kind of harness photosynthesis um, and use that to capture carbon, we can do that really, really quickly and in a way that essentially has an environmentally friendly end result. Algae is a great way to do that because it captures carbon really fast because it grows really, really fast. Algae already holds an advantage over other plant forms due to the investment that has gone into researching it. This research is justified as well when considering other plant forms and how they would be less effective if utilised in the same way. When we think about things like trees, you know, a lot of trees grow quite slowly. Um, that carbon's gone for a really long time. But if we're wanting to capture carbon really rapidly, we have to look at something that grows really rapidly as well. And that's what algae does really, really well. So we're able to capture carbon really, really quickly um, compared to a lot of other traditionally biological methods. I think that's a really good point as well, because I think some people don't understand why algae is actually um, differentiated from other sources. And it's that speed that it can grow and capture the carbon that makes it sort of stand out compared to other forms of carbon capture. Yeah, exactly. So when you um, grow algae in its kind of optimal environment, it can double in size or or double in biomass, essentially, the number of cells that it has every single day. So when we kind of, you know, put it in systems like Green Genie, it can actually grow really, really fast and capture that carbon really, really fast. Given that algae holds an advantage over other carbon capture plant forms, It seems fitting that algae biotechnology is one of the big projects that the UTS Climate Change Cluster are pushing forward with. 
researchers at UTS, so I work with the researchers here, and we're able to kind of um, turn it into tools that we can kind of uh, utilise it to do something called direct air capture of carbon, which means that we can kind of put it inside things or um, grow it on scale so it's able to draw a lot of carbon from the atmosphere and then turn that into algae biomass. So one of the technologies in particular that uh, UTS is working on is something called the Green Genie technology, and that's essentially a highly optimised shipping container filled with algae that we've kind of been able to optimise to capture as much carbon as possible and then turn that carbon into algae biomass as it photosynthesises, it grows, turns into biomass and then we can then turn that green stuff that comes off the end, the algae biomass, into different byproducts to hold that carbon for longer periods of time. The Green Genie is a new innovation leap forward that repurposes wastewater and carbon emissions into algae biomass that is then transformed into commercial products. According to Dr Alex Thompson, the Green Genie can utilise the photosynthetic abilities of algae to trap carbon at a rate of 20 times the efficiency of previous platforms. These figures blow other platforms out of the water, especially the production of products that rely on fossil fuels. It even makes the idea of producing products with fossil fuels sound inefficient. Traditionally, when we're making products that are maybe fossil-based, and so when I say fossil-based, I mean, you know, traditionally made from things like crude oil or things like that, there can be quite harmful practices that go into extracting those, but then also when those products start to break down, they can be quite detrimental to the atmosphere um, because they release carbon dioxide, but they can also turn into things, you know, sometimes turn into things like microplastics, bits and pieces like that. Um, So essentially you're kind of propelling climate change by pulling carbon that's been compressed under the earth, turn into fossil fuels and then bring it onto the surface that then breaks down into carbon dioxide. If we're able to make products that essentially are made by pulling carbon from the atmosphere, turning that then into into algae biomass and then turning that into a a bio-based product, we're kind of eliminating a lot of those practices that release carbon. So we're not pulling it out of the earth, we're not kind of... um, adding additional carbon to the atmosphere, we're kind of producing a bit more of a circular model where the carbon's just recycled from the atmosphere. We can also turn into things that, are, that might be compostable, so they're not necessarily turning into things like microplastics and bits and pieces like that. We can also turn them into uh, more environmentally friendly products, things that don't necessarily use harmful chemicals and things in the extraction process. Um, so really the focus is making algae-based bioproducts is to make the end products a lot more environmentally sustainable, but also make products that ultimately use a whole lot less carbon dioxide or hold the carbon dioxide for a longer period of time. Due to its size and technology, the Green Genie can be integrated into various industrial processes and can fit inside a standard 6-metre shipping container. This means that it can be used for power generation, waste incineration and brewing. It can even be harvested and used for biofuel production, chemicals, bioplastics and fertiliser. As a result, the Green Genie is a leading project and it fits in with some of the other projects that will be striving for clean air and a reduction in carbon emissions. Yeah, so the Green Genie is really a bit of a scaled solution to doing things like carbon capture. Um, it's, it's definitely a very exciting technology and one that we hope offers you know, a different option to some of the other conventional carbon capture systems that are out there on the market. One of the other really exciting things that we're doing with the algae research 
here at UTS is um, we've just launched a new facility called the Algae Phenomics Facility. So it's the first of its kind anywhere in the world. It's a automated, uh, essentially, facility using robots, artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning. And what it's able to do is we take um, cells such as microalgae cells and we're able to uh, manipulate them. Um, to essentially rapidly evolve those cells. So we can then use them and identify different traits that those cells might have. Maybe one has more oil, one has more pigment, uh, one might have more protein or something like that, and then work with a partner or a commercial partner to say, hey, let's identify one that suits your needs. So that might be one that has more protein in it, and then work out exactly the growth conditions that we can kind of grow that cell in within a really kind of finite um I guess, way, so exactly what conditions does it need to grow really optimally, and then we can then have a cell that we can grow on scale for something like food production or things like that. So it's a really, really exciting facility, and as I said, the first of its kind anywhere in the world. We're hoping it'll have really big impact on all sorts of new things from future food to agriculture to developing new things like new plastics and fuels um, because we're able to really precisely understand what traits would be um, really beneficial in commercial applications and research applications and then exactly how we grow them to really rapidly progress the development of new products. Given its wide range of uses, it is expected that the Green Genie could take off at industry if its production succeeds at being affordable and scalable. Dr. Thompson is quietly confident this will happen. A pilot version of the Green Genie is even accessible at the University of Technology, Sydney, which makes it easier for the faculty to comprehend the value of their research. Plus, it helps in their data collection and technology development and even offers the environment the benefits that nature typically offers every human being. Yeah, that's correct. So that's exactly why we've got it sitting on campus. Not only so the researchers can get into it and access it and track it and work on it really easily, but also so people can actually see it and see the type of impact that algae can have on carbon capture. Um, But also the other things that Green Genie can do because it has a a real suite of um, environmental benefits, including, you know, treating wastewater, um, capturing different types of... um, gas products and things like that. And, of course, there's the added benefit of being able to make bioproducts from the, the algae biomass or the green, the green stuff that comes out the end as well. The Green Genie is not the only project that seeks to improve air quality for human well-being. Professor Sarah Wilkinson from the School of Built Environment at UTS is another working with algae to reduce air pollution, with her research being heavily focused on using gloopy green algae growing inside triple-paned windows to heat a building and supply its hot water needs. This futuristic-sounding idea is in fact a reality in Germany. We all recognise trees and plants as nature. To have algae on buildings is something that's very, very new. And so I think we're going to need to sort of educate and inform people about what this technology is and what it does. And as I say, with my experience, I had a complete change of opinion of what algae did and was by being educated, you know, by people that knew a lot about it. And I saw what a positive organism it is. The technology works when the sun hits the panels and heats up the algae in a liquid solution, causing photosynthesis and generating heat. 
This heat is captured and processed by a bioreactor within the building to provide hydronic heat for radiators, underfloor heating and hot water. The algae can also be harvested for use in biofuel and pharmaceutical production as protein supplements, just like it was in the Green Genie project. We've just finished, actually, in the last few months, the project with the Western Sydney University. Um, and we looked at the social impact of the green roofs at UTS. And the results from those surveys found uh, very positive impacts from the users. They, uh, they enjoyed the ability to get onto the alumni green roof. And uh, the peace and quiet that it offered the ability to connect with friends in that space, to use the seating and the, um, the other facilities around there, was uh, highly valued. So it's uh, definitely a good investment because it makes people want to stay on campus uh, a bit more. Given its positive outlook, Professor Sarah Wilkinson has chosen to collaborate with Professor Peter Ralph from the Climate Change Cluster in building a prototype tailored for the Australian environment. While being constructed, the team will additionally conduct experiments to test the types of algae and what their peaks of energy output are. That's absolutely right. I mean, those uh, the bushfires and the uh, pollutants that then get circulated and get drawn into buildings and, uh, you know, if they're totally mechanically ventilated, the system may not be able to extract all of the pollutants. And COVID has been very interesting, of course, because of the kind of highlighting public health and people's health within buildings even more so. And again, with these closed buildings that have totally reliant on mechanical systems, what they found was the pollutants were able to be transmitted from one part of the building to another. And then people became very sort of aware of the health issues and indoor pollutants and you know, anxious about going into artificially ventilated buildings. As this research goes ahead, Professor Sarah Wilkinson has continued to throw her support behind any campaign for more plant life within buildings, including algae. This plea goes back to previous research she did when she found out that plants have positive physical and psychological outcomes because of the impact that they have on air quality. These positive impacts include a reduction in sick leave, stress and depression, as well as increases in work productivity and job satisfaction. Human with proximity to nature tend to feel better. And uh, we, did a, we did a project with the health faculty at UTS a few years ago looking at the impact of uh, horticulture therapy on people with mental health conditions. And I worked with a mental health practitioner, an academic, uh, Fiona Orr, and we joined in a horticulture therapy sessions and then uh, at the end of the six-week period interviewed the participants and asked them, you know, did they enjoy it? What did they get out of it? What did they like? And again, it was the proximity to nature, actually working with nature, touching nature, smelling nature, as well as the social engagement they got through the course 
was highly beneficial to their their health and well-being. And if you think about it, you know, when we get free time and holidays, typically we go to natural environments, whether it's the beach or the mountains, uh, to, to get near to nature. As for other initiatives fighting for clean air, it should be noted that Professor Andrew Tovey is heading the operational network of Air Quality Impact Resource Project, also known as Open Air. Launched on the 16th of June last year, the Open Air Project will see 13 councils collaborate together to measure air quality. The results from this monitoring will have a direct positive effect for councils as the increased levels of data sharing will help to inform their management practices better. It does make a huge difference to people and I think a lot of the councils are realising that. According to Professor Tovey, it may even help other UTS projects being conducted. Yeah, look, um, there's there's a whole range of benefits that come from greening cities and putting more green infrastructure in. Um, it is, uh, there's a general rule of thumb that, that more plants in cities is, is always good. I know there's, there's complications around that. Like, you know, um, the, the certain, certain trees can produce, uh, you know, biogenic emissions and ozone and things. But um, and it's easy to get kind of caught up in that. But actually, the reality is, if we have more trees, more plants, more green walls, all of this in our cities... The net effect is beneficial, not just to air quality, but as you point out, um, to a whole whole range of other things, including mental health and well-being. Overall, these several UETS projects show that air quality reduction and the recognition of clean air being a human right are priorities. In fact, UTS have made it such a priority that they have now begun research into projects that use algae for carbon capture. These things would not have happened if not for the investigations into what algae can do. The facts are in. Uh, are the, the facts and the figures are in on this. There's absolutely no doubt. And the WHO, World Health Organization, has named air quality as the number one threat to human health worldwide. Um, it, it is the major thing. And obviously it goes... It has a very tight relationship with climate change uh, and a complex relationship with climate change. So um, in order to engage with and deal with climate problems, we often ha- that often goes hand in hand with engaging and, and dealing with climate, um, climate change, uh, you know, and re- emissions reduction, greening of cities, uh, and a whole, whole sort of gamut of, of, of climate uh, action stuff as well. How algae will be used in the future is difficult to say. Algae still has some limitations and air quality continues to get worse. Intervention will be needed soon, though there is at least consensus now on the importance of providing clean air. After all, clean air is a human right at the end of the day. Professor Wilkinson again. Interestingly, actually, I was having a conversation with somebody this morning who was telling me that this is somebody who works in the fashion industry and was saying that their company are sourcing their wool from a, a farm in central New South Wales that feed their sheep algae because it means that the sheep, their diet is better and they emit less 
carbon uh, dioxide, which, of course, is a global greenhouse gas. So um, that's minimising the contribution to uh, climate change through feeding animals biomass. I think um, cattle and their consumption of beef is another huge component of a contributor to the methane emissions that come from cattle contribute to climate change substantially. Ultimately, clean air has finally been acknowledged as a human right. For Australia, it is not yet the biggest issue for its government to deal with, especially when other nations have much higher air pollution levels. Having said that, maintaining good air quality is something Australia needs to do to keep in line with the climate change targets that they have set themselves by 2050. And with tough El Nino years waiting in the future, it seems that the current investment into algae will be essential once the inevitable record-breaking bushfires and disasters make their return. Cleaner air is the future. Air pollution is the past. This has been a Think Sustainability episode produced by Andrew Herlinger. Special thanks goes to Professor Andrew Tovey, Professor Sarah Wilkinson and Dr Alexandra Thompson for giving up their time to do the interviews. Hope you have a great night.